showed no hope Sending grace when it was undeserved You stood by me in my darkest time Loving when your voice was still not heard You are the light, light of the world You are my strength when my strength is fading You are my hope when all hope is gone you are the light You are the sun You are the one I've been searching for You fill the void in my soul You are the one my heart's thirsting for Never let go You are the light Light of the world You are my strength When my strength is fading You are my hope When all hope is gone You are the light You are the sun that I have found you Teach me all your way Help me know you through your holy word We'll walk together Hand in hand through life Now my soul can soar Just like the bird You are the light Light of the world strength when my strength is fading you are my hope when all hope is gone you are the light you are the Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me, and we have been listening to a good friend of mine, someone I haven't seen in probably, gosh, a couple years, Robert Pereira. And I have to admit that my wife told me one time, after she agreed to marry me, that when she heard Robert sing, her knees would get weak. I was comfortable in the relationship, so it didn't bother me that much. But he has that type of a voice, and you can tell from that song, You Are the Light, from his 2005 CD titled You Are the Light. And he's on the phone with me right now. Robert, hello. Hey, Todd. Good to hear from you. Well, you know, this is, I have been looking forward to this for a long time, speaking with you, because I, I think it's been almost two years. Of course, it's been almost a full year since we saw anybody, really. But I yep. think it's the last time I saw you, I think, was at one of the Sky Stage open mics, maybe, or maybe. Yeah, prob 
Probably, yeah. 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 So how are you doing in this pandemic time? Well, you know, uh, like everybody else, uh, getting through it, fortunately, I can work from home. So that's a tremendous blessing for all those who can't work or have lost their jobs. I uh, kind of grieve for them every day, but I'm, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Um, you stirred some really good things in my heart um, musically when you reached out because I, I haven't played in a few years. I play at church every Sunday, but I put the guitar down. I kind of uh, lost it for a while, but you're reaching out and uh, gave me a chance to start to think back and I'm looking forward to playing now. So I'm going to start prepping for when things open up again. So it's all a good thing. Oh, well, good. I'm glad I've been through that, uh, that period of my life as well. Only mine stretched for about 11 years. So hope, thank goodness yours is not lasting that long. But the um, everyone should hear you. And, you know, I threw that applause in. I hope you didn't mind at the end. And the main reason for that is whenever Robert, and this I'm addressing the people who are listening, Robert, who, by the way, are from all over the world. The predominant listener is from the United States, but I have people from Bahrain, Russia, England, Greece. I mean, it's amazing who listens to this podcast. But when Robert would sing at any of the open mics, uh, especially at the Frederick Coffee Company and Cafe. He would get up and sing, and the room would start to quiet down. He usually sang songs that everybody could get into and then sing along, and at the end, there was that type of applause, probably a lot louder than that. That's why I threw that applause in. So as you, as you well know, you were well-loved, and uh, the biggest problem I had as the host was getting you off stage. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's okay. I would have, you know, it was, and I used to tell people, and they said, well, can I do another song? I said, I'd, it'd be wonderful, but I have 16 people I have to do in, you know, X amount of time. So, so the, now, playing now, what guitar have you picked up first? Um, you know, I, I have a, uh, an old Yamaha that I like very much, and, uh, there's several different guitars. I also have a uh, uh, another smaller guitar. For the life of me, I can't think of the a Taylor, and uh, I like that. Play that at church, and mm-hmm. it's just comfortable. Um, right now, unfortunately, I have a thumb that's giving me troubles, but I don't know if that's going to be a long-term problem. But I'm going to try to work through it. But I, I uh, you, you're reaching out just made me think about music through my whole life, and I went back and started thinking about where it began and all that stuff and then and times at the coffee shop and other other highs and lows and it's it's been a good uh, a good remembrance for me well tell people and tell me how music entered your life in the beginning well my dad uh brought back a little miniature guitar from salvador when i was like uh six or seven and i had that to kind of pluck around with but i really didn't get into acoustic guitar with any fervor until about uh, high school. And then, uh, oddly enough, folk mass uh, started up. We had a really progressive pastor, and he loved music. So I was involved with folk mass and uh, started playing guitar there and met just an enormous amount of talented people from then on. Um, Played in some bands. Long Island, New York, which is where I grew up, was a hotbed of uh, music talent. I mean, Carol King, Billy Joel, they were in the neighborhood. Um, and there were a lot of, it wasn't so much open mics as much as uh, wine and cheese places or places you could, well, like an open mic and get up on stage. 
and I played, believe it or not, I played more bass guitar with bands than didn't sing or sang very little. And uh, but I played with some incredibly talented people. Um, there was a stage called My Father's Place in New York. I think it's in Roslyn. Not sure exactly, but really, really incredible place. And all the notables would come in and people like Billy Joel, whatever, would come in and just sit in and play. And I remember opening up with one of my bands for a pure Prairie League. I remember Amy. Oh, yes. Uh, their big hit. Um, and I don't know if I Don Imus. Um, he had was doing a stand-up thing back then. And I met the man and I said it was a lot of opportunities to to be with just tremendous talent nearby. I mean, tremendous talent. And that was a good thing because you have to try to rise to the occasion. But like I said, I didn't sing much back then. Uh, I really didn't much singing until I came to Maryland. Um, no, why not? It, I didn't really know that I had much of a voice, to be honest. Um, and I was more of an accompanist for on guitar for um, a number of women who did solo acts. And, um, but when I got to Maryland, believe it or not, um, I, uh, and there was a long transition in between of a marriage and I had to put music down totally. And when I got to Maryland, I started working with John Durant mm -hmm. and uh, he and I got to know each other and he was one of my oldest best friends in Maryland and, and a man who would just make me laugh so hard uh, and talented as well, as you know, a great, great voice. And uh, back in the days when he had a monkey and he was doing all sorts of stuff and troubadouring around. And uh, um, we just, he introduced me, I think, to the coffee shop. I was trying to think of how I found out about it. But I think he told me about it and said, you know, why don't you go up and play? And that's really kind of where it started in Maryland. And I found some good reception from uh friends and other musicians um and that kind of started it for me to want to play more because uh, you know if you if you play and you get a good response um that's an encouragement and uh so i just kept trying to do that um i'll stop there to let you ask questions but that's really where i met you and then tommy and so forth well now were, were your parents musical besides your dad bringing that guitar home my mom and dad loved music. Um, dad would play just everything um, uh, with the you know with the record player. My mom loved um, more opera and classical, but there was always music playing in the house. And one thing I was thinking about with my dad, you know, back in the day when um, uh, Edgar Winters and White Trash had their album and and there was such tremendous musicianship on there. My dad, who was a good thirty years older than me, he I could invite him into my room and say, Dad, just listen to this. Isn't this incredible? And it wasn't his style of music at all, but he would appreciate musicianship. So mm -hmm. he was very encouraging in that regard. So I thank my mom and dad for literally always having music in the background. Now, siblings or not? Four, four children in a family, a brother, sisters. Uh, but they were pretty much gone um, early on. They were much older. So didn't spend much time with them. Um, they weren't into music at all so it really began with just an enormous amount of friends who were musicians um i would try doing recordings for them and then i played along and then i joined uh one of my fondest memories if there's time i i, I played in a rock band that in the 70s and we would do a 
a thing on Long Island called Rockin' on the Sound, which was a ferry boat that would normally go between uh, Long Island and Connecticut for commuters. Giant, you know, could hold 600 people, uh, boat. And they would do a weekend thing called Rockin' on the Sound, where the people would come in and there'd be a bar and a seafood bar and just tons of room and decks to people to come and listen to music. And I played, um, you know, a couple of seasons um, with this band. And God, it was the best musical experience I ever had as far as a band, because uh, they were all tremendously talented. And I, I was playing bass and doing some backup vocals. But just the energy and the fun. And it was a fun time. 70s were fun times for music. They really were. They were. That was that was probably my, well, I shouldn't say that. My most fun in music has been in the last 15 to 20 years here in the Frederick, Maryland area. But I agreed the 70s were a terrific time. A lot of talent, a lot of fun music, a lot of energy, you mm-hmm. know, just fun, fun music. I mean, we would have, you know, new songs that come out every week from whoever was uh, number one that, that week as a band, uh, you know, the Cars or uh, Jackson Brown or whatever. And we would learn songs that were on the radio. And that's, we were a cover band, but really, I, they were tremendously talented and tremendous vocals. And uh, people loved us. And it's nice to be loved. So if you're on stage and people enjoy what you're doing, um, that's such an encouragement. It is. Now, which was your, what was your main radio station that you listened to back then? Oh, wow. Was it W-I-N-S or? Uh, I-N-S is more news. I was, was thinking B-A-B. B-A-B was a rock station, mm-hmm. so probably that. Um, but, um, yeah, I can't remember. It's, we're talking 40, well, talking a while. I, I get confused sometimes because I grew up in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and our main radio station, which would be considered the top 40 station, was WBZ Boston. Mm. And uh, And so sometimes I get the disc jockeys and the call signs mixed up between New York and Boston. Oh, sure. Because those were, in my world, those were the two hotspots, especially New York, but we couldn't pick up New York very well on AM radio. Right. Right. Yeah, I was thinking more, yeah, I don't know if it was FM college radio or not, but I, BAB Babylon was the, was one of the big stations on the island. So, um, there was just so much music on the island. There were so many clubs, so many wine and cheese places. I mean, music was everywhere. Um, and you'd have, you know, major labels coming through. We had a, one thing I remember in particular was Westbury Music Fair, which is a circle and around theater and all the all the bands when they had their albums come out and they wanted to introduce it, they would they would start there. They'd come play live, and so I remember seeing Chicago Blood Sweat and Tears, Tina Turner, just um, one band after another. The big stadiums had uh, were like Shea Stadium. You'd get Grand Funk or Humble Pie, or but there was just so much music. It was just a time where music was everything. I mean, even through the disco era, and it was a lot, you know. So were you able to get to a lot of those concerts? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it was easy because it was nearby, and the pricing wasn't crazy. Um, it was it was a good time, 70s, early 80s, 70s in particular, late 60s, 70s. Just, I mean, I remember getting my first uh, Grand Funk Railroad album um, or Black Sabbath, and it was just you know, tremendous influence, tremendous fun. Um, 
Right. High schools had battles of the band and that sort of thing. So it was so much. Now, of all the concerts you went to in that period of time, was the one that really stood out as like, man, that was the best. You know, I got to probably say musically Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Cetera was still there playing guitar. Um, and it was such a, an, an impressive amount of musicians and such high quality music. Um, you know, the stadium stuff was fine for the impact. I mean, you go to a place, you never saw so many amplifiers stacked up <laughs> to the ceilings to play a 50,000 person stadium. So that had its its thing, too. Um, but there were other venues, too. I remember seeing Ray Charles and Ronnie Montrose and all these other people. And just when you could, you went, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but stirring, good stuff, you know. It was good stuff. Now, why? How did you get into playing bass rather than guitar? You know, I think because one of the bands that I, that um, you know, I don't know exactly. I don't know if it was from church they needed a bass player, or I just picked it up. Well, I, I think I could say simply that bass guitar bass guitarists were more needed in bands mm-hmm. back then there weren't a lot of bass guitar players out there so i had started that and then i had an opportunity to get into a a band that needed a bass player and um and i did that you know uh, more for bands than you know home was playing acoustic um and then i had musician friends uh singers who i would play acoustic guitar and support them for their singing and that was uh that's probably how I tried to develop. I'm sure that's how I tried to develop some of my playing style, which was kind of percussive rhythm combination, um, because that was needed to fill fill the sand, sound underneath the singer. So mm-hmm. uh, that served me well. You know, and I was taught, I'll, I'll reminisce a little bit. I remember um, playing guitar at my mother's house in the dark at night, and I didn't realize how much that taught me to play without looking at my guitar neck, mm-hmm. a technique that I didn't choose, but afforded me a lot of freedom to not have to think about where my hands are on the left to find chords or notes or whatever. And that was a, if I was to recommend anything to a student going forward, play in the dark and learn how to play with just feel. Well, and that you know? was one of the things that uh, amazed me and impressed me when I first started hearing and seeing you on stage because like many performers and especially if the lyrics are very introspective and ballad like uh, you close your eyes sometimes like many performers do and you would play all over the fretboard and i'm thinking how does he know where to go and the hand just goes there yeah that was a wonderful unexpected benefit of that uh early playing um, and you mentioned ballads. I, yeah, I really kind of found myself wanting to do more uh, emotional songs and love songs and feel-good songs. I don't know what else to call them category-wise, but it um, and it still is my my favorite to do uh, to do ballads. Maybe because that's what my dad used to listen to. You know, all the Perry Comos and all that stuff, Demar, whatever back in the day. But I uh, I I find if I can play a song that evokes emotion it's more pleasing to me and people seem to respond well to it so um 
Now, would you consider yourself a crooner? Yeah, I guess. Because I, I do. Guess. I I think you know, the there are very few singers in the what I call the coffee house circuit or the acoustic circuit where it's solo performer or a couple of people on stage who have a, a full deep voice like you do. Most of us are tenors or just slightly below and some even a little bit higher. And that was something that was so refreshing when I heard you at first, because I mean, you hit some of those lower notes and the room shakes. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I one of the things, you know, you remember the coffee company. One of the things that I, I remembered, um, being part of that was very special to me. In fact, I was talking to Sam Biskin about it this morning, and uh, he was another musician that I had met at the coffee company. And we used to do the the, uh, the house band stuff. Mm -hmm. Get two, three, four, six people up there. Um, I remember we were playing Feeling All Right, and we had Chris, who's passed away, doing congas and yep. a bass guitar and all sorts of people up there, and uh, Bill Hanger. And it was so much fun to, I don't want to say being a band leader, but being able to encourage everybody to join in and be part of a bigger sound. Um, and that was just so much fun. I think the audience responded well to it. Well, that would be fun to, um, as best as we could, put together some of those same people, or if we can't get them to join, put some folks around you, and that's what your band name is, the house band. Uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Met a lot of people. Barry Bryan on bass, Bill mm -hmm. Hanger, um, you know Tommy, um, but just and a lot of people. And um, I miss that. There was a time I think you'll agree that there was a sweet spot for the coffee company um, for a year or so that just had a, a flavor that was wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, but those things are hard to maintain. They are. People's tastes change. Um, lives change, for sure. Bill Hanger moved up to upstate New York. And I haven't seen him, gosh, I want to say five years the last time I saw him. Maybe even more yeah. than that. We speak occasionally. but oh, good. Uh, good. He, uh, he, uh, he's up there in Saratoga. And, um, he does, he's had some difficulties playing music. He had some troubles um playing guitar and so forth so it's been a little bit limited of late but you know when i played uh with him and frank davis another tremendous talent and uh even wade back in the day mm -hmm. um there's just a lot of people you could play with um and build a, a sound you know um well whenever i yeah go ahead i'm sorry no, it was based on what I, what I tried to choose was the feel-good songs that people remember and can join in on, you know, um, that not everybody else is playing, you know, whether it's uh, Young Rascals or Beach Boys or, or uh, um, well, James Taylor or whatever. The one, the, the one song is, and I finally learned it about a year ago, maybe maybe a stretch it a little bit farther back than that. I had always wanted to learn it, just never. I don't know if I never thought of it when I was trying to come up with songs, but I started playing more wineries and farm breweries where cover songs are more important sure. because it brings people back to a time in their life and that, you know, they can look at their spouse or whoever it is and it, it gives them a nice warm memory was I learned Harvest Moon. And ah. e every time I play the beginning 
to Harvest Moon, I think of you three guys at the Frederick Coffee Company, because I think Wade played the lead on that in the beginning. Yes. And when you guys played that song, I was like, okay, I like these guys. Because oh, it was you. just so... I had, had never heard anyone play it as well as you three had. So when I play that song, that's who I think of. <laughs> you know, uh, the Music Cafe was a place I had a chance to play at for a number of times. And they have a nice welcoming audience as well. Mm -hmm. Often more mature people, which is good because I can play the songs that I can invite them to sing along with. But uh, um, it it was just, uh, you know, brought back a lot of memories of, of that. Come on, you know, sing along with me. And they would. Mm -hmm. Many people in the audience were singers or musicians. And it, it, to me, that was important as an entertainer to uh, get people engaged, you know, if just memories or to sing and feel comfortable doing it. Well, um, and you are, I would classify you as an entertainer. Not everyone is. Um, you are, was that something that you worked at or it just came, comes to you naturally? You know, I, I think, um, it really started when I started doing the coffee company and, uh, I, I found it very pleasing to invite a person or two or to join in or to sing songs and see people wanting to sing along. And I felt People should feel the permission, whether they have a good voice or not, it doesn't matter. Join in, mm -hmm. be part of the the moment. Um, and it seemed to work. So I just kept going with that. Now, did you ever think of doing radio? Because you have such a radio-friendly <laughs> voice. You brought up a, an interesting memory. This radio station, WBAB, the rock station out in Long Island, I actually went for an interview there to be uh, a radio person. But uh, if I can say this uh, without offending anybody, I thought I'd become a jerk doing it. And I may have become one anyway, but I thought that would just be a bad thing for my ego <laughs> to because uh, uh, ego is a problem I have often enough in time. I thought that was just a bad choice. But you, you, you're right. I, I did think I had a voice for it and. I probably could have done well with it, but I didn't want to become an idiot. I really didn't. And you know that the jocks out there and the and the, and the radio announcers often were big, giant, overbearing personalities. I didn't want to become that. Mm -hmm. I really didn't. Well, I did a very short stint of 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 radio, and it was the eleven p.m. to seven a.m. shift, and I would do one or two nights a week. It was just to give the the. He was the manager, but he was the fellow who had to do that. Even though he worked all day, he didn't like to do it, so he hired me. And the thing that struck me that I didn't realize, and you you probably do, is he says, and you understand the clock, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's 12 to 12. I understand. He goes, no, 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 the clock in radio is, you know, at 5 past the hour, this, and 15 and 20. He says, and this is when you get to talk. And it was like 45 seconds. And I'm thinking, in the whole hour? Because I was thinking I was going to get up there and just love the microphone and stuff. It doesn't work that way. At least it didn't yeah. in that station. But you the, have you ever heard the, um, and I, it's a video podcast sort of interview. It was out of Toronto. It's called The Q. And the former host, who I think has been gone for a couple of years, has a voice. Maybe the register's not quite as low as yours, but it's a very smooth, very comfortable sound. And when I listened to him, I would picture you. Mm. 
because he had that way of speaking and that way of drawing people out. Um, my favorite interview was with Gordon Lightfoot and just the wow. way he, you know, allows them to speak like I'm not doing right now. I'm, I'm talking too much on the microphone, but. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, you know, I was, uh, I was encouraged when I started looking up your podcast and I listened to a few and I was like, boy, that's a perfect fit for Todd. Perfect fit. Cause, um, you know, you're encouraging and pleasant and soft-spoken and that works, I think on, uh, on a podcast. I listened to the one last with uh, Frank Davis and it just stirred up all sorts of good emotions and memories. Um, and you do it well. You do it well. I, uh... Well, I sure have a whole lot of fun doing it. And as I tell people often, and I think I mention it pretty much every podcast, because I was the host of open mics and showcases and things like that, I tended to be the one kind of running the show. Mm-hmm. I rarely had the chance to speak with anyone for more than two or three minutes. So this podcast allows me to have a chat with someone for an hour. It is just so cool for me. Well, especially in these uh, COVID times, what mm-hmm. a nice way to to uh, share time. You know, I didn't really prepare or anything, but I got to, I started thinking back through history and moments and memories. And you know, Frederick had a a, a, a um, an encouraging music scene for. For, I don't know, at least a few years. Um, you know, music in the streets. You had a lot of places like the Green Turtle and and other venues for music that um, it was room for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, for young, old. Um, and I, I was surprised that I we had a chance to play um, some of the older stuff and be received. But I guess in a way it makes sense because there's a lot of people our age that still want to hear uh grooving or you know uh or bgs or stuff from their memories and they're good memories mm-hmm. you know, they were good they were good times um a lot of good music you know my girl and temptations and uh, you know i don't i and i was especially encouraged when i heard their kids coming up saying they like the music as well mm-hmm. because it brought them back to their own family setting and what their parents listened to and um, well, you were the first a, person I heard cover My Girl and Groovin' in the medley. <laughs> and I know two yeah. songs are not a medley, a medley is three, so I call it a media, uh, you know. But the um, it, when you did Groovin', I don't remember which one came up first, but the it was like, oh my gosh, I remember that song. It was such a fun song. And then all of a sudden comes My Girl. It was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I was able to add to that Apple Peaches Pumpkin Pie. Yes, and, yep. uh just my imagination was another one that fit that tempo. I would do a little bit of both of those, but um, grooving for whatever reason um, just brings me back to the just the sheer good times on Long Island when you could go to Jones Beach Theater or any place and listen to music. Um, there was just so much of it, and and I want to say it was happy music, mm-hmm. but I think people were happier back then. Economy was good. Um, I mean, it's just, maybe it was just the season, but those songs bring back just so much memory of music in the park. We also, you know, being on Long Island, um, and because it was run by the mafia, essentially, they would, <laughs> they would, br- they would bring out, uh, they would bring out musicians from the city to play locally for their families, literally. 
And so you would get concerts for free out on a lake or whatever. And it was could be anything from opera to to a big band. To, I mean, I remember hearing one of the James big bands coming out and standing front row and my hair was actually moving from the volume of sound from the from the brass section you know um just tremendous quality music offered all over the place all the beaches had it uh, all the parks had it and it was free well it was interesting when you said that in your younger days at some of these wine and cheese places that uh you know carol king or whomever would would show up yep. pre-famous and what a wonderful experience for you. And at the time, of course, they're, they're good, but you never have any inkling that they're going to be icons. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember, this is off the subject a little bit, but I remember doing an open mic and uh, one of the comedians that came up on stage, and he really stunk at the time, was uh, Andy, uh, what's his name from Taxi? Andy oh, Kaufman. Kaufman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he came up with a vacuum cleaner strapped to his back. <laughs> it was just crazy. Um, people that you would see at these different places. Um, but like I said, those for me, those are the '70s were great, great years for me personally, uh, emotionally, musically. Uh, that's where a lot of the roots of it comes from. You know. Now, when you are, you know thinking about playing the guitar or you have one sitting off to the corner, you go, ah, you just pick it up. What is the first, do you have a song that you always play first? You know, I, I really like, uh, love some butter cheese. And that's, that's just a evoke an evoking song for me. Um, the song that you mentioned from, um, uh, Harvest Moon. That's another. Mm-hmm. Um, and grooving. I really enjoy grooving. Yeah. It, it it just it makes me feel good playing it, you know. And uh, and I'll see other people. I you know I look for the audience's reaction and participation, uh, not out of ego, but just to see if I'm connected. Am I vibe entertainment? And that, so it's hard to lose when you're playing up one hits from across the decades um because that's why they were top one hits you know mm-hmm. now the um you mentioned that you have that that little yamaha that you you tend to pick up now yep and you had a i think it was a, a japanese made guitar that tama tama, tama yep. was my was my favorite you know a lot of these guitars some of them still need to be uh kind of worked on if sat around and um uh, there's a lot of guitars there, but the um, there's memories, you know, between some of the guitars that I have that go back so many decades that there's a, I swear I can kind of feel my hand on the neck where it, it's kind of worn in my hand's mm-hmm. <laughs> contour. Uh, it's it's probably not true, but maybe it's just memory or muscle memory um, that certain guitars just feel right. Well, and I know that you played exclusively for a long time that triangular pick, and I can't remember who makes it. Oh, uh, Fender makes so other people do as well. But yeah, big triangle picks. But you know what? You've seen my hands; they're mm-hmm. huge. And the other picks would often just keep falling out. And 
depending on how much percussion I'm playing, I can break my pick. So if I have a triangle, I can rotate and get back to a pick edge. <laughs> that's kind of a selfish reason to have the triangle, not only for size of holding, but as I break them, and I would. Um, I don't know how you've 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 chosen picks over the years, but the thinner picks I love because of the expression I can get out of them, but I tend to break them. Mm -hmm. So I'm usually leaning more toward a medium, but I, I really like working with a, a, a thin pick. It just gives me a chance to be more expressive when I'm playing. Uh, Cause I don't do much lead. It's more percussion and, and strumming and those picks. I just really loved. I've had to stayed with them. Well, it's almost like having your own snare drum with you. I, I would guess, you know, I don't know, I've never been a drummer, but. But it's, you, it's you're uh, absolutely right. It's the, the challenge for those of us who perform solo most of the time is that right. our guitar has to be the entire band. And whatever, oh, yeah. whatever we can do to, you know, to fill it out, that's my biggest problem when and if I ever go into the studio, which is rare, because I've played solo so much i'm busy on the guitar and people say look you, you got to give us time we don't have any space here you're taking everything up allow us right. to be part of the song and that's tough tough for me yeah 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 you know you mentioned percussion i one of the hallmarks of my guitars is uh, how they're tore up and scratched <laughs> and, and in the most unusual places i tend to play pretty high up it appears because my scratches are all close to the Top, you know where the neck meets the guitar body i never understood it i never paid attention to it but evidently that's where i'll wear a hole in a guitar is just scratching beyond the strings and not anywhere near the pick guard i don't know whoever thought a pick guard was good there but i need one right on the neck um well it could be just ergonomically that's where how the the guitar sits in your lap and where your hand ends up being yeah that's true but it, it is, it does give a very nice, it softens the sound, the, um, but it does, with the thinner pick, uh, give that more of that percussive sound. It really does. And you're so good at that. Well, thanks. Hopefully, again, um, when the time comes, I, I have to tell you again, I'm just really stirred to get out to play again. So that's a good thing. Well, plenty of time before COVID eases up, but gives me time to prepare. And that's, uh, that's the plan. And I appreciate your bringing that out in me. Well, I'm happy to do so. And every time I go to the Frederick Coffee Company and park in the rear parking lot in that little Shabro stage, the little brick stage there behind the building that houses mm. the engineer um, with the little amphitheater where people can sit either on the grass or on the chairs. And I'm thinking, gosh, I can't wait to get back to be able to hold music there. Yep. Because yep. it is such a cozy... You have to deal with traffic noise, but you have to do that anywhere downtown. But it is just, it's like a, its own little space. It really is. Yeah. Some of the most fun I remember with uh, Slow Burn was down on Market Street where, I guess it was first Saturdays, I'm, I'm thinking, um, but we would we would have gotten um, a good location, maybe down on 7th or 5th or somewhere in that area. And... I remember the times, and this is to the credit of the rest of the band, we we could get all four corners of a street with people just standing there listening. Mm -hmm. That was uh, very encouraging. 
to us and to me personally to, you know, if people stop to listen, that's, that's kind of cool. It is. And I've found that the sound in a downtown configuration because of the buildings, it gives you a little bit of natural echo. Yeah. And I, I was in Hagerstown one time with Doug Allen Wilcox and Diane Bunch, and I've forgotten who else. And we were in front of the parking garage on Potomac Street. Right after you, if you go into town when you're shown on Potomac Street, we were right on the right-hand side. And the sound was great. And I had finished my set, and I I thought I heard a little music, so I started walking down. I went through the four corners, and then to the building on the left, there was a raised spot, and there was some kids out there, and they were doing dancing and things like that. And But I didn't really hear them until I get right on top of them. They weren't amplified really well. But as I'm standing there, there was a pause in their performance. And I realized that I could hear whoever was playing back at the parking garage almost as good as when I was standing right next to them. Wow. And it's because of the way the sound just kind of carries in a downtown situation. So it's one of my favorite ways of playing. So I can understand why you'd get people on all four corners, mainly because you guys were good. Well, thank you. It, uh, on a talent credit to the rest of the group. Um, the, I was thinking back to other memories I might've had of places that I had played that there was a moment and there was a farmer's market out toward Harper's Ferry, I would say. It was an obscure little place. I can't even remember off of 340 exactly where it was, but I think it was Fran Tucker who told me to, to go out there, and we went, and she played. And I remember a moment, and it wasn't a big crowd. God, maybe there was some, you know, a handful of vendors. and But there was an old woman, um, old, I guess she could have been my age for all I know, but maybe in her 70s, kind of frail. And I played a song for her and for that three minutes or whatever this woman was just dancing and in the most incredible positive way just feeling the music and it touched me because i i you want to have an impact on people that's positive and this woman for whatever her memories were for whatever her her feelings were at the time was just enraptured enough to dance by herself in this uh, farmer's market. And I remember that to this day, you know, if, if there were enough moments like that in my music history where somebody felt good, then I'm happy, you know, I'm happy. That's the point of it. Well, you have, um, you mentioned as, as a young person, you played in church and the, the church band and the, you are the light CD is about your faith for the most part. Yeah, no, I, that came out, I don't want to interrupt, but that came out after a really hard time in my life when there was a lot of, a lot of negativity and a lot of uh, depressing things going on, and it stirred up some emotion, so much emotion that I needed to write songs, and um, it kept going, and I put together that CD in my basement. Uh, God, it took I don't know eight months and a Yamaha synthesizer and. But I kind of had to get it out, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it, its purpose, it, can I, do I have enough time to tell a little more story about that? Oh, of course. I, I, I 
created the CD, didn't have any idea what I was going to do with it. There was a, a, a woman my age who I worked with in uh, Baltimore who had a tragic situation where literally while she was preparing dinner for her husband saw on the news that he was killed. Oh, And uh, you can imagine the impact of it and then just everything. But she was a co-worker. And I found the time and felt the need to give her the CD. And I said, I don't know, Andrea, if this is going to help, but I feel drawn to giving it to you. And she told me some, some time later, she said, you know, Robert, I listened to one of the songs on there every day just to get through what I was going through. So what I'm saying, Todd, is if that all that effort and that CD had only one purpose and it was that, it was worth the effort. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, it, it was a good thing. Well, you have, uh, I, I think, been like the musical director of your church for a while, or had been, I think. Yeah, and when I when I was, uh, I don't know if they call it music leader or whatever, in Church of the Brethren in near Schifferstadt mm-hmm. for like six, seven years. And that was an incredibly positive experience because they, they had wanted to start a contemporary service. You know, the Brethren are very traditional and very old school and they had wanted to start something a little more modern and i got invited to i don't want to say audition but to think about it and then it grew to be like one of the most popular services that they had and it was a full band and choir and more contemporary modern music you know from vineyard or whatever that was a that was a very big experience and uh uh it affected a lot of people as well so yeah church has always been there but now it's a small setting, and it's still good because it keeps me on the straight and narrow. And uh, I'm just a musician in a church and singing music for the for it. And it's limited now, obviously, because of COVID. So it is. Um, but it, it it's been there for a long time. You know, um, music's been a positive part of my faith journey as well. You know, the songs that you played, "Your Delight," I haven't heard it in forever, and. Uh, it brought back memories of why it was written and the other songs on there as, as well. But, uh, and again, I thank you for that stirring. It's a good thing. Well, the, you know, I hadn't listened to it probably in, gosh, three years, four years. And like I mentioned, I have, I have so many CDs all over the house. And like many things in life, if it's out of sight, it's out of my mind. Sure. And when I knew we were going to be uh, chatting, I thought, you know, I need to find that CD. And sometimes listening to music years later or months later, uh, it's almost better than it was when you first heard it, if that makes any sense. Sure. Because maybe when I first hear things, I'm too busy doing other things. And it's, oh, that's good. Yep, yep. Okay, let's move on. And it brought me back to of course, the Frederick Coffee Company Cafe and all the you know, the first times I heard you sing and so forth. The uh, But it also lets me into more of who Robert Pereira is. Mm. Because again, we never had that chance to have long conversations, so I knew so little about you. Yeah, no, I... Uh, uh, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that, but you know, you can... Spend a little a little time with somebody and just like them. That's all there is mm-hmm. to it. And you and you've been always very kind and gracious to me, and uh, and uh, and I enjoyed being part of that, and also listening to your 
your your music, you know. Um, you have that bread sound all the time, which <laughs> is kind of interesting. Um, but I want to mention John Durant. John John's one of the voices that I'm drawn to to listen to and to I don't want to say emulate, but appreciate. He, um, he has so much so much quality in his voice um, that I can just listen to over and over and over again. He uh, plus he's silly and uh, he'll do his silly songs and. But I was thinking back to um, one of the performers, and for the life of me, I can't think of his name. But I would always ask him to play uh, The Cat Came Back. Oh, Rick Hill. And Rick Hill. And uh, what a talent he was. Um, but that, for whatever reason, I could listen to him doing a lot of those old songs. But the, I, I paid him $20 once to play that song <laughs> just because I so wanted to hear it because for whatever reason, it just makes me happy. Yeah, and he is another one. He's he's an old folky. And I don't mean yeah. old as in age, but old in his his soul is old. Um just because of the the whole you know, folk thing back in the late fifties, early sixties, so it's it's kind of an old thing, but he also has silliness in him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, you got to. Life's too hard not to have a silly side you know i want talking about folkies you know i was thinking about fran tucker what Mm a i'm not a folk music person so much but she found a niche with her voice to sing folk songs that people would really really appreciate you know and different different niches like rick hill and fran and sam biskin and Mm -hmm. you know um there were just lots of different talents uh, different styles. I, I, and I hate to be remiss to not mention Mike Scherf. Um, yes. He, he um, to me, has some of the most incredible uh, guitar fingering styles, true to the original. Mm-hmm. He really would invest time to play the songs well, uh, better than I ever could play. I would mask it with singing, but he would just a wonderful stylist on guitar and he played forever, but he also had a song um, style and a register higher than me. He could do all the songs I, I couldn't do, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And uh, we're still friends. We still, you know, talk now and then, but though he he is a style that unique again, you know, um, and a talent, you know, it's wonderful to have met all these talents, you know, and had a chance to play with them. Maybe there'll be more of it moving forward. Who knows? Well, I definitely hope so. Another gentleman who is really only a part of us. When I say us, I mean the Frederick Coffee Company group. Um, was Paul Penwell? Yeah. And his his alter ego Xavier World. <laughs> I mean, what talk, fun! Yeah, talk what ab- fun! Talk about unique. Yeah, I remember uh, Mike and I sang along when he did a song by Grand Funk called Heartbreaker, and it was so so much fun, <laughs> so much fun. Uh, who would think you'd play that on a, on a folk stage, and it went off really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sa- very sad to to know he's gone. Um, glad to have known him. Oh yeah, me too. Um, me too. It, um, yeah, good memories. I'm going to do a a podcast on. Paul Penwell sometime in the future. I, His cousins, who also live in Thermont, when he had passed away, they contacted me um, 
indirectly through a couple other folks. They had some of his equipment and things. They didn't know what to do with it. And they said, how can we? And they had heard that I had sold things on eBay and, and I might have some connections. And so I went up and met with them. And they had a couple boxes of just miscellaneous stuff. And they said, what about this stuff? And I said, well, it's going to be, it's all small. It's very difficult to sell. And so I said, you know, give me a price that you'd accept for that stuff because I could use some and I could give it to people, whatever. So we came up with a price, helped them out, helped me out. And one of the things I found at the bottom of the box years later was a cassette tape. And it says, I've got it right in front of me. It says, Penwell Demo, mid-80s. Wow. And, and there are four songs on it. It's mostly electric. And also in that box was one or two pages of lyrics that he evidently had written. So what I hope to do, and you're one of the people I will probably include in that, the maybe when we can get together and put some of those lyrics to music mm. um, and maybe pull in some performers like yourself or whatever to perform that song or a group of people and also play. And these recordings, they're, they're, they're pretty rough. They were done lo extremely lo-fi. Um, right. all electric and stuff, the guitar's out of tune, things like that. And it almost doesn't even sound like him because in the 80s, you know, all of our vo voices have changed over the years. <laughs> the um, But anyways, that would be fun just so we could have four or five people who knew him to reminisce. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you were, uh, I remember being at the coffee company on, a, I think it was a Sunday afternoon, and you were you were hosting something for a while, and it was like an evening, an afternoon with Robert or something like that. And Paul had right. been there, and you finished up, and we we were all sitting around a table, and his guitar came out, your guitar was still out, and the two of you were playing, and I, I had purchased right around that time my first iPhone, which had a video capability to it, mm. and I remember videotaping the two of you. And really? I, I wasn't good enough to be able to get both of you in the shot. So I'd zoom in on him and then I'd move it over to you and back. And I thought I had saved it. And of course I hadn't somehow it got deleted, but that would have been so much fun to oh, bring yeah. out and pass around for everybody because he was in awe of you. And the fact, I had no idea. Yeah. And the fact that you, it was almost like he was a kid being asked to be on stage to join in a song with Bon Jovi. Wow. I uh, I don't recollect it. I just know we were friends, you know. Yeah. So what do you what are you looking for once this COVID thing gets out of the way um, musically? What's where's Robert going? Well, you know, I don't I don't want, I don't want to rem hesitate to bring back another friend uh, who's played with me often, and I hope he will again. I know he's expressed it. That's Bill Hall. Mm -hmm. Bill Hall's one of the finest harmonica players I've ever met. And he and I played together for years. And uh, so when I get the chance to get out to a open mic again, I'm hoping he'll join me and we can do some of the songs that we used to do together. Because he was just a great, great musician. For few of the harmonica players I ever met knew when not to play. Mm -hmm. And Bill had that skill. And that was such a warm, besides our friendship, it was such a warm uh, encouragement to me. Because I know he'd always be there at the appropriate times when I'm playing music. And heck you know. of a nice guy, too. Oh, my gosh, yeah. His whole family, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that again. I haven't told him that I'm thinking about getting prepped for it. But uh, 
I'm sure he's he'll be willing to join me when the time comes. I don't see any more gigs as far as you know restaurants, whatever. But I would like to get out and just uh, shake the cobwebs off and and be around friends, you know, well, or new friends. Yeah. What we will do when we can, and I'm hoping it's this summer. It may not be because we, of course, we don't know what the future it, um, is going to be. But hopefully, with the increased use of the vaccine and the numbers drop, that we can things can open up, especially outdoors. It, it, I mean, a lot of the wineries and the, the farm brewers have had music, so maybe we can get that little stage behind the coffee company. Do you know if Sky Stage is going to be open again? Well, it was this past year, so I'm assuming it will again. I haven't heard anything um, to the contrary, but I haven't heard anything saying that they're going to either. But okay. I think it might just be early for them. The, uh, yeah, no, I didn't mean now. I just meant eventually. Because that was, again, another interesting venue. Mm-hmm. Um, very welcoming venue and uh, intimate in that it's you know fifty people or so at the most and uh, and that being outdoors a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a, just a it's, lot of fun. It's terrific. Unfortunately, it's weather related because it's open air. Sure, but what a fun! Gosh, and and they put the lights up and everything and the the staging. <sighs> Just have to bring a cushion to sit on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm looking. I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I'm gonna be preparing. Got found my song book, and I'm. I don't know how much new stuff I'll be bringing in, but I may bring in stuff I haven't played before, and and just start getting my chops together again. Um, well, I've put- said it many times, but I'm thanking you again for stirring up that interest in my heart because I had put down guitar except for church for years, and. Now I'm getting interested again. Well, keep in mind the house band. And, and you know, obviously we can't get Chris back, unfortunately, but uh, maybe yeah. we can put together, you know, three or four of you and, you know, you and Bill and and uh, and Sam maybe. And and then we'll we'll do a thing at the Shabro stage because it doesn't fit more than three or four people. It's not very big. Right. And uh, I will run sound so you, you, nobody has to worry about that. And it'll be an evening with the house band. That'd be great. Wouldn't that be fun? So just kind of oh, come yeah. up with about 10 songs, uh, 10 or 12, because that'd be about an hour. And uh, that would be that would be fun. People could go over and get a sandwich if it's late afternoon, early evening, or a cup of coffee or whatever, bring it o- over, and uh, we'll just have a fun time. Sounds great. Sounds great. Well, I want to thank you for joining me. This has been terrific for me. I know Carol is looking forward to listening to it. She says hello, by the way. Uh, she's you're you're you got a winner there. What a sweet person. I know. I try her patience every single day, Robert. I really do. I I do my best, but I I understand I'm not the easiest guy to live with. But she's a saint. Oh, looking so, forward to seeing her too. Well, thanks again for for joining me. And, oh, my pleasure, uh, Todd. Thank you. And the folks, after you and I hang up, we're going to listen to, uh, we're going to sing. And I do have a question about the production of the CD and engineering of it. You did everything yourself, played all the instruments and everything? Yeah, everything. Uh, well, I was limited, so I had to, I had a really cool music synthesizer, uh, an AS Motif uh, keyboard. So I could do saxophone, I could do drums and all sorts. Of stuff. And, you know, it's, how much can you do really when it's, uh, canned, but uh, yeah, no, it uh, six, seven months took me probably three months just to figure out how to record. But um, yeah, now all the instruments were synthesized. So now, hopefully or, people do you, enjoy it. Do you still have copies available? 
You know, um, not many, if I even knew where they were, to tell you the truth. <laughs> you probably, um, I had given pretty much them all away. So um, it's it's nothing I was looking to sell. I just It was merely just take them and hopefully enjoy them and get something out of it, you know. Well, there may be some of your friends, uh, people who listen to the, the podcast, who may say, Todd, where can we get a copy of that CD? Make them a copy from yours. <laughs> <laughs> I will do so. And again, Robert, right. thank you so, so much for joining me. And I hope you have a pleasant rest of the day. And I Todd, hope... thank you. Oh, you're it's welcome. been a pleasure. And I hope it's to see you pleasure. soon. All right. Same here. Yeah, bye-bye. bye-bye. Well, that was Robert Pereira. What a great guy he is and... As I mentioned, my wife, once she agreed to marry me and we were comfortable in the relationship, told me, Todd, I have to tell you this, that uh, when Robert sings, my knees get weak. He has that type of an effect on women, on everybody, but not quite the knees part with men. Anyways, so we're going to finish the show with one of the songs from his, his CD, You Are the Light, and this one is called We're Gonna Sing. We're gonna sing, we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing the praises of the Lord. We're gonna praise Him in the morning, we're gonna praise Him late at night, we're gonna sing the praises of the Lord. We're gonna pray, we're gonna pray, we're gonna pray, we're gonna pray, we're gonna praise the Father, Spirit, and the Son. He's the light which comes to save us, turn your life to the Lord Jesus. We're gonna praise His holy name forevermore. The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission of the artist from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link. Wispymopmusic.podbean.com and Podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. In my heart Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah, praise his name, praise his name. We'll sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah, and praise his holy name. We're gonna sing, we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing the praises of the We're gonna praise him in the morning. We're gonna praise him late at night. We're gonna sing the praises. We're gonna sing the praises. We're gonna sing.